here today. And uh, if you have your Bible, go to Luke chapter number 11. Luke chapter number 11. And uh, I tell you, God, God is so good to us, isn't he? And uh, I tell you, he is so good. This is a a series that if I can get through uh, week to week without, uh, you know, crying the entire time up here, uh, then we're doing pretty good for ourselves because he's had me in tears studying uh, for prayer and uh, learning about uh, prayer and, excuse me, thinking of of you guys and uh, everything that you know, I know you guys have going on. It was good to see uh, Miss Jean Pollard with us here today. She's filling in here today, and I know that life has not been easy for her over the last uh, couple of months, and uh, it was good to see her. It's also good to see Archie and Betty uh, with us here today. I know it's been a while since we've been able to see them in church, and uh, it is good. Uh, they're as faithful as the day is, and they come when they can, so it's good to see them walk in here today. And Listen, let me tell you this, that uh, I know you have, have needs in your life, and, uh, and there's a lot of different needs that, that you have um, that um, you need to uh, lift up to the Lord. And, and as I've been studying for this, I've been thinking about many of you in here, and uh, I hope that this series uh, encourages you. We've entitled this, The Secret uh, Place. And uh, it is all about prayer, and uh, I said this earlier, but I think if we were all honest uh, before God here today, all of us can improve our prayer life uh, to some degree. And all of us have room for improvement uh, when it comes to prayer. Uh, If you're wondering about prayer, it's really not this magical thing. In fact, prayer is simply this. It's a relational communication that we have with, with God. It is the means by which we ask God to bring his power and his kingdom down on earth. The goal of prayer is really for God to reach down and touch humanity and for us to experience a little bit of heaven on earth. Now, now when we think about that, heaven on earth, uh, how many of you that sounds pretty good here today? Raise your hand, okay? I think all of us would, would agree that, hey, listen, a little bit of heaven down on earth sounds, sounds awesome. If, if praying is the way that we can get heaven to come down on, on earth, then, then yeah, sign me up. I'm all in on that. I don't think anybody in here would say we don't want that, but, but the difference is so few of us do through prayer what it takes for heaven to actually come down here on this earth. Everybody wants it, but few of us are committed to do it. So you say, why, why, don't, we, why don't we pray? I think there's a bunch of different reasons why we don't pray uh, more often. And, uh, and to be honest with you, if you look across even church leaders and things like this, this is beyond you. I think prayer is, is really something that a lot of people struggle with, from the ones who are in leadership uh, to, to see if you're just coming and attending and not even a member of our church. Listen, prayer is something that is universally, I think, a struggle in the Christian life. And, and I'll be honest with you, I have room as your pastor to improve on on praying, and God is teaching me things. But as I looked at this, I was thinking, why don't we pray? And, and a few things popped into my head, and some of these are true to me. We don't really value prayer like we should. 
Let me just say this, that, that you know, here's a terrible excuse. If, if your first reason why you don't pray is I do not have the time for it, that is an absolute terrible excuse. And here's why. Because we make time for what we value the most. We do. We make time for what we value the most. And so if you don't pray, it's simply because you do not value that relationship the way that you should. Or, or how about this? We don't believe, and you can be honest today, we might not believe that prayer does any good. Think about it. You know, we believe in the sovereignty of God. We believe God has a plan. God has a purpose, and, and everything's going to work out according to his purpose. And perhaps you have prayed for something that, that did not happen the way you want. We've all probably been there where we went to God, and we begged God maybe to heal, and, and he chose not to. Or we begged him to, you know, save this person, and he chose not to, or, or whatever. You fill in the blank for whatever you prayed for, and it did not happen. And, and so today, you would say, hey, pastor, this is really the reason why I don't pray, is, is does prayer do any good? Does it actually work? Does it matter if I, I pray or, or not? Let me remind you that prayer is not about getting our will done here on this earth. It is about asking God to do his will down here on this, this earth. You know, we pray for the craziest things from time to time, don't we? I know I do. You know, many of us pray for our sports teams, right? Some of us, like last year, I'm not even going to say who I pull for, but I needed more prayer than ever before last year. And, and, and let me tell you this, some of us pray for, pray for sports teams, or, or some of us, the extent of our prayer time, the only time you really talk to God is to bless a meal before you eat. Some of us pray for parking spaces, Right? You pray, and, and then you, you find a good parking space, and you're like, thank you, Holy Spirit, right? And then you walk in, and there's a ton of people who have never prayed a day in their life, and they were just a notch closer to the door than you were. What does that mean for you? We pray for good grades on our test. When I was growing up, you know, I grew up in, in church, and, and uh, they would always tell me, you know, they would say, hey, uh, God cares about everything that you care about, and so bring every need to him. And so I would wait all week, and I wouldn't study for the test at all, and I would show up to school, and before, you know, as the teacher's telling us the instructions, telling us to put away all of our notes and everything, and she's starting to pass them out, I'd say a quick prayer and say, God, 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 I need you now more than ever before. And I pray for good grades on, on, on tests, and, and we pray. I know this is a prayer in our household a lot. We pray that my wife would find her phone or that she would find her keys, right? And those are the things we're constantly praying for, for stuff like that, right? And, and some of us, that's the extent of our prayer time is, is, is some of the things that I, I mentioned. And, and one thing that I'm learning that I want to propose to you over these next several weeks is prayer is supposed to be much deeper than bringing our to-do list to God. It's much deeper than you just coming to God with the 10 things or the 20 things that you want him to do in your life. God, I need you to heal my dog. God, I need you to heal my, my broken toe. Or God, I need you to do this. I need you to do this. I need you to work this out. I need you to do this and remove this in my life. God, I need you to do this. And what I want you to know, God cares about all those things. So if that's the extent of your prayer time, I don't want you to leave and be like, wow, pastor was just harping on me. I want you to understand that prayer is supposed to be much 
deeper than just that. Prayer is supposed to be much deeper than just you going to God with a to-do list. Think about your relationship if you're, if you're married in here today. What if I just every day woke up and the extent of my relationship with Abby is just, hey, Abby, each morning, hey, I need you to do these 10 things and then we're good and I don't speak to her the rest of the day. Do you think that will go well? How many of you think that would go well? Anybody? Okay, you're smart. Listen, it wouldn't go well because that's not a relationship. But yet, that is a lot of times how we treat our relationship with with God, and that's the extent of our prayer time. Prayer should not just be you bringing your to-do list to God. Prayer should actually be fundamental to everything you do in life. It should be the center of everything that you do in life. When you go to work, pray. When you go to school, pray. Before the test, pray. After the test, pray. When you go to the doctor's office, pray. Everything that we do should be bathed in prayer. Listen, I I think if we were to look at the early church, we'd find that, that they got this way more than the church of today gets it. Don't believe me, Acts chapter 1, when, when Jesus ascended up into, up into heaven, and uh, you know he's gone up into heaven, and the apostles are sitting there, and they're kind of like, he told us to wait here for the comforter to come, and they don't really know what that means, and, and so what do they do? They could have left, and, and he just commissioned them to go and, and share the message of Jesus with the world. They could have done a lot of different things. Honestly, if I was sitting there, and I watched Jesus go up, and he left me with a job to do, my first response would have been like, okay, we need to go into town, and we need to start preaching. We need to start sharing you know, all this different stuff. But you know what they did? Acts chapter 1, verse 14 says that they all continued. They gathered together right after he left. They continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Acts 1, 24, when they had to replace Judas as, as the apostle because Judas betrayed him, they bathed that. It says they prayed for guidance on choosing an apostle to replace Judas. Acts 2, verse 42, remember at Pentecost when 3,000 people were saved. How amazing would that have been? What did they do after that? Did they start their discipleship program? Did they you know, do a membership class? Did they have starting point back then? What did they do? They prayed. All 3,000 of them gathered together and continued steadfastly in prayer. Acts chapter 4, when the apostles began to face persecution, it says that they praised, they, they prayed to the Father in the midst of their persecution and in the midst of their prayer, they actually praised God that he would count them worthy to, to, to allow them to suffer persecution. Acts chapter 6 Um, Verse 4, when the church was growing, and and the church was growing, and and there were too many members coming into the church, and and they didn't know what to do, and and so the leaders there, the preachers, the apostles, they, they appointed seven men to kind of care for the widows and to do the work of the, of the ministry. Why? So that the pastors could devote themselves to prayer and to studying of the, of the word of God. You see how they valued it? They valued prayer. It wasn't just this to-do list thing. It was something that they realized they were absolutely nothing without the prayer to God in their life. They were desperate for it. Acts chapter 9, Tabitha, she, she uh, was sick. And, and it says that, that Peter came and prayed for her to be healed. 
And she was. Acts chapter 12, when Peter got thrown into prison, and he was in prison in the middle of the night, the church was praying continuously. And and in the middle of the night, God answered their prayer. And and as Peter escaped from prison with an angel of God and came to the house to where all of them were gathered together praying, they were still praying there together. Acts 13, they prayed and laid hands on, on new people that were being commissioned to go out and do the work of the of the ministry. You see, I could go on and on through the book of Acts and see that the early church understood that they were absolutely nothing without prayer. They were nothing, that they could not face each and every day without praying to God. And and, and that's the same desperation, that's the same attitude that, that we need. The point is this, prayer should be fundamental and central in everything in your life. It shouldn't be just a moment in the morning or a moment before the meal or, or just this moment that, that you just throw up a couple petitions to God. It should be at the center of everything that you, that you do. It's more than just something you say before, before, pray, before bed at night or before a meal. It should be at the center of everything. So if, you, if you're in here and, and you feel like, man, I really, my prayer life needs to improve, then guess what? You are not... Alone. In fact, everybody in here, our prayer lives need to improve. But the apostles, they struggled with prayer as well. The people that were walking with Jesus, who saw Jesus perform miracles, who, who saw him heal people and, and saw him, you know, feed 5,000 people, they still struggled and did not understand prayer. And that's where we come to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, we see them ask a really good question, something you might have never asked in your life. Here today, you see the people closest to Jesus asking this. Verse 1 of Luke chapter 11. And it came to pass that as he was praying, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So so here's the setting. I want you to put yourself in in this position. And so Jesus is praying, and and the disciples are are watching him pray. They're they're sitting there, they're watching Jesus pray, which is so fascinating if you think about it. Jesus is the very Son of God. He came from heaven to, to earth, and he's there. And yet he even values the importance and models before us the importance of prayer to God and the disciples are sitting there watching and and I can imagine it's like you know when I was growing up um, we used to attend prayer meetings all the time so my church that I was growing up in they would have these prayer meetings and my dad would take me as a young kid and so I would go to these prayer meetings and and they were different than maybe what you've experienced and um, so they would all like get together around the altar in the church and they would all pray at the very same time out loud how many of you have ever been in a moment like that okay a few of you in here you grew up maybe like like I did. Well, that's what I did. And so as a kid, I was always, I'd go and, and my dad would be like, okay, we're going to go up here and pray. So I'd go up there and pray and I, I would close my eyes. And then the first, you know, they'd all start praying. And I would kind of, as a kid, I would kind of look around to see who's praying. And as a kid, I would think, okay, he's a really good prayer. So I really, I need to learn to pray like that. And he, you know, this guy, I don't even know what he's saying. So, you know, it's like, okay, that's the, stay away from that guy's prayer. And as a kid, I would watch and and I would see these things. And I imagine that that the apostles, they're sitting there and they're watching Jesus pray. And and they're like, man, that's what we want. And by the way, they could have asked him to teach him to do anything. 
They could have said, hey, Lord, teach us to teach like you can. Teach us to preach like you can. Teach us to heal. God, we just saw you feed 5,000 people. Hey, teach us to do that. I really want to learn to do that. He could have, they could have asked anything. But yet the thing that set them apart is they were interested in how Jesus prayed. Literally, they're asking him not just to teach him how to pray. They're asking him, hey, teach us to pray. We want to learn to pray. But also, we want to pray like, like you pray. So he said to them, verse 2, Jesus says, when you pray, and we know this passage well, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. This also is recorded in Matthew chapter 6. And, and uh, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus, he, he's talking to the apostles and he's sharing with them. And, and, and he actually recites the same, this same prayer, the same model, the Lord's prayer that, that many of you can recite and that I can recite. He recites this exact same thing. But before he gets into it in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus actually added some things to it. He said this, when you pray... Go into your room and shut the door. Isn't that interesting? He says, listen, prayer is first private before it's public. You see, he said, hey, go into your room and shut the door. That's where your real prayer warriors are found. Let me tell you this. I think it's cool. There's a lot of really great praying people in churches. But let me say this. What's done in here is much different. The real prayer warriors that set them apart is what is done in their closet when the door is shut, when they're on their knees before God. That's where your prayer warriors are built. And Jesus tells the apostles, he says, listen, go into your room and shut the door because you don't want to be like the Pharisees because they're hypocrites. They just go out into the world and they just... They, they go out into the streets, and they, they pray, and all, all they want is to be seen of men. They just want the attention of men, and, and guess what? They got their reward. The attention of men, what they were going after, that's their reward. So he says something totally different. He tells the apostles, hey, go into your room, shut the door. That's where prayer warriors are built. And then he goes, and he says what we have also recorded here in Luke 11. When you pray, say, our Father, which art in heaven. He starts with, hey, Remember when you go to the Lord in prayer, remember who you are addressing. Remember who you are really addressing. You're addressing your father. Relationship. Every time we say our father, it should remind you that you are a child of the king of kings. You're a child of the father. He says, remember who you are addressing. That's the first thing you do is recognize who you are talking to, our Father which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done as in heaven, so as in earth. In other words, pray his will, not your own. Verse 3, give us day by day our daily bread. In other words, provide for our daily needs and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Examine us, cleanse us. Then he goes on, Jesus is saying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
And, and so he says this, the Lord's Prayer that many of us know. And then he goes on here in verse 5, and, and he begins this parable, which, you know, you know a parable is just a, a story. It's an earthly story. It has a heavenly meaning. And Jesus is just trying to teach them something. And so he goes a little bit further. Perhaps he's looking at the apostles, and he's saying, okay, they don't get it. And so I need to take this a step further. And so verse 5, he says, and he said unto them, which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, friend, lend me three loaves. Now, rem- remember this. They didn't have electricity like you and I have. They, they weren't up at midnight watching Netflix and, and, and watching videos and different things like that. They didn't have any of those things. And so at midnight, they'd already been asleep for several hours. So like they're, they're sound asleep in their home and everybody's out. And Jesus says, think about it this way. Think of prayer like this. Which of you, you should have a friend and, and say that friend comes to you at midnight and knocks on your door at midnight after you are in the deepest sleep possible and knocks on your door and say, hey, hey, can I, can I borrow five, five, three loaves, three loaves of bread? How many of you hate being woken up at night? Okay, a few of us. And listen, he, he says, think about it this way, verse 6 and he said, gives a reason why he needs the three loaves for a friend of mine and his journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. In other words, man, I have guests and I have nothing. All the grocery stores are out, Amazon. I didn't know that they were coming or else I would have ordered Amazon a couple days ago for everything that they need. And he comes to them, he's desperate, he has absolutely nothing. And this friend, he has nothing to feed him, nothing's open. Hey, neighbor, can I have or lend me three loaves? Verse 7, and he from within shall answer and say, trouble me not. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and, and give thee. Back then, most of them would stay in one room together, the entire family. And he says, hey, listen, kids are asleep. I have nothing. Can't you make it till morning? But, verse 8, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is a friend, yet for his, or because of his importunity, that word just means persistence. Because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. So Jesus is telling the story, and he says, hey, this, this neighbor who his door, you know, somebody's knocking on his door, comes asking for three loaves, he's not going to give it to him just because he's a friend. He's actually going to give it to him because this guy is persistent, and he's not stopping, and he's being bold with what he is, is asking. So therefore, I'm going to give him as many as he needeth. Verse 9, he goes back to the disciples, and he said, And I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? In other words, he says, listen, if your child comes to to the dad, any of you guys, and and say, hey, listen, can I have some bread? You're not going to hand him a stone. No, I mean, as dads, we're going to give him a good gift. Or, or perhaps he comes and asks for fish. Are you going to just respond and, and hand him a serpent, hand him a snake? I definitely wouldn't because I hate snakes. And so he says, hey, listen, are you, are, no, no parents are going to do that. Or, or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? So he goes on. He says, listen, none of us are going to do that. Verse 13, if ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children... He gets real direct. You say, what exactly does that, does that mean? He says, even on our worst days, 
we're still going to give good gifts to our kids because we're their, their parents. He says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, come on, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? He says, listen, if, if you as an as a evil, sinful parent are still going to give good gifts to your kids, how much more is our heavenly Father going to give us in life? Listen, in this story, this is such a fascinating story to me. As I was reading this, there's three attitudes that I wanted to start this series with, three attitudes that we have to approach Jesus or approach our Father in prayer that I want you to get. I encourage you, if you don't take notes in church, I encourage you, write these down, put them in your phone, whatever. It'll help you remember because these are three attitudes each and every day. I want you to remember these three attitudes from this parable, and I want you to remember this so that when you approach the throne of God, you can approach it with these three attitudes. The first one is this. Attitude number one is this persistency. Persistency. Verse 8, he said, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. That word importunity means earnestness. It carries on the idea of persistence. It's talking about shameless persistence. It's the idea that we are going to keep asking without shame. We're not going to stop. We're going to to continue. In fact, if you look at the New Testament, the phrase pray always or praying always is mentioned five different times. You see, the idea of praying should not be just coming to God one time with something. It should be this continual conversation, this continual relationship, this continual persistent ask to him. How many of us pray for something once and then we forget all about it? Are you like me? Do you do that from time to time? I know that's my prayer life a lot of times. I'll come to God, say, hey, God, I need some wisdom here. And then next thing you know, I forget all about it, and I go on through life, and I, I don't bring the same thing to God. The idea of prayer or the attitude of prayer in Scripture in the New Testament is that we should be persistent in prayer to our Father. You should be shamelessly confident when you go to the Father. Just like this man in the parable shows up at his neighbor's house after they've been asleep and knocks on his door and asks for three loaves of bread. You see, that same confidence, that should be the way that you approach the Father. And so we should go to him. Remember Acts chapter 12. I referenced this earlier when Peter was stuck in prison and, and, uh, and they put all these guards around him. There were so many soldiers around him that, that he could never be released on his own. It's going to take a miracle, an act of God. And so what did the church do? The church gets together and, and they get into a house and they, their reason for gathering is, hey, we're going to pray for Peter until God releases him. We're going to just keep praying. So I imagine they get in there and they're on their knees praying before God and, and they're taking a break and grabbing water and then they go back into the room and they're praying and praying and they're begging God, God, please, please release our friend Peter. God, God, we need you to release Peter. He's impacted us. and In fact, he probably led a lot of them to the Lord at that time. And, and they're begging God, God, he doesn't deserve this. Please have mercy upon Peter. And so they're praying and they're praying and they're praying. And in the midst of their praying, they don't even realize it, but God is behind the scenes working. 
And so he shows up, he sends an angel to, to that prison cell, and everybody falls asleep, and the chains fall off, and Peter literally gets led out of prison by an angel, and they're still praying. They don't know God's already answering his prayer. They're just still on their knees, persistently begging God to do what is on their, their heart. And, and so Peter goes out, and he doesn't know what to do. He gets into the street, and he finally comes to himself. He finally realizes, okay, this is not a dream. You know, he's probably pinching himself the whole way out of prison. And he shows up into the streets, and, and he, he finally comes to himself, and he's like, man, I don't know where to go. And so I'm just going to go, do you know, to my friend's house, you know, the, where they're all all gathered praying. He didn't even know. And he knocks, and, and the, the girl comes to the, to the gate, and, and she sees him, and, and she sees him and doesn't even realize it's him. And uh, scared to death, she thinks it's a ghost. And so she runs back in, and I imagine Peter's just still knocking at the gate like, hey, listen, they're about to come find me, search warrants. My picture's going to be going up all over the community, and i got to really get into somewhere or else they're going to find me because I just broke out of out of prison with an angel of God. She's knocking, and the girl runs back in and, and says, hey, listen, everybody, stop praying for just a second. God answered our prayer. Peter is at the gate. You see, the same persistency, they had probably prayed for hours upon hours upon hours for the very same thing. Here, here's the point, is that you and I, when we approach the throne, I want to challenge you, be persistent in your prayer. I want you to be persistent in your prayer. Let me tell you this. If the person you're praying for has not been healed yet, keep on praying. Keep praying. Do not stop. If you've prayed a hundred times, let me encourage you, keep on praying. Take it to the Lord each and every day. If your marriage that you've been praying for has not been restored and you just have given up all hope on that, let me tell you this. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do not stop praying. Keep bringing it before God. Keep shamelessly staying confident to him, bringing it before him for the hundredth and two hundredth and three hundredth time. Keep praying. If the person you've been praying for hasn't accepted Christ yet, let me tell you this, keep on praying. Don't stop. Don't give up. Stay persistent. If your job hasn't worked out yet, keep on praying. Let me tell you this, I have some people praying for revival in our church. Let me tell you this, if it hasn't happened yet, keep on praying for it. Do not stop praying for those things. Many of you, you have prayed, I've heard your, your comments and, and things. We have prayed for years and years and years about our church moving to this new property down the street, right? And many of you, you, you used to pray for those things, and we've stopped. It's like we've given up. It's like we've given up on God, and, and we're just like, ah, man, we'll never see it. And so we've stopped altogether, and you probably can't even remember the last time you got on your face before God and asked him to do something supernatural at Union Grove Baptist Church, something that the entire community feels the weight of it. Let me tell you this. If you stop praying for those things, keep on praying. Listen, we need to be persistent in our prayer. That's the attitude for, for what we need to do. Second attitude is this, desperation. Not only do we need to pray persistently, we need to pray out of desperation. This neighbor, he was out of options. There's nowhere for him to get bread. Nowhere. He, he couldn't go to the store. There's nobody else. So he showed up at his neighbor's door at midnight middle of the night after they'd been sleeping and he knocked 
And guess what? One loaf of bread would have probably been enough. But he asked for three loaves of bread. Desperation. Desperation. Listen, this man was out of options, and this was his last resort. I'll tell you this. This is what I'm learning as much as anything else that I say today. This is what your pastor is learning. I don't think that we can become people of prayer until we actually become desperate before God, that that's the only option for us. As long as you think you can still do life on your own, you're not going to be a person of prayer. As long as I think I can still be a really good pastor on my own, then I'm not going to be able to be a person of prayer. You see, the point of this whole story is this, is that you are absolutely nothing without Jesus in your life. You are nothing without him. And so let me tell you this. You want to know what attitude you need to come before God? It's not just persistency. It's this attitude out of desperation. Saying, God, I'm nothing without you. You need to wake up each and every day recognizing that you are in desperate need of the goodness and grace and mercy and power of an almighty God in your life in every single situation. That you cannot work at your job. You cannot do what you're called to do. You cannot lead anybody to Jesus in and of yourself. You cannot heal people in and of yourself. No, you need to realize that with God, whatever you want to see happen is possible and we need to come to him out of this attitude of desperation that we are absolutely nothing without him and we need to just throw ourselves at his throne at the mercy and grace and goodness of almighty God saying God I can do nothing without you lead God and direct me in every single step of the way today listen if you're not to that point today I want to remind you that without him you can do nothing You can do nothing. You might think you're pretty good at what you're doing on your own, but let me tell you this. It's by the grace and mercy and goodness of Almighty God that you're where you're at here today, and you need to come to him out of desperation. Think about it. This man, he had no other option. So the only option for him to provide for these people who showed up at his house that he had no food for him, the only option was, man, I'm going to have to go next door, I'm going to have to knock on the door. In Florida, we used to live in uh, one of those real strict HOA neighborhoods. How many of you have ever lived in one of those before? Okay. So we lived in a real strict HOA neighborhood. And so, like, we had Bible studies in our house all the time. And and, uh, it was one of those neighborhoods where when you had a lot of cars on the street— your neighbors would always like jump onto the local Facebook page and talk bad about you. But they wouldn't call you out by name. They would just say, hey, there's this house. They'd take pictures of your house, pictures of your cars, and they'd throw them on there, and then we'd see them. It was just wild. And they'd be mad because you blocked like their mailbox. And I'm like, it's Sunday night. Mail's not coming tonight. Okay, you're good, right? And, um, and so, but we were in this neighborhood, and, and, um, and we didn't have a lot of room to, to to Rome, and, and so in our backyard, it was really small. We had this white fence around it, and, um, and so we, uh, we would bring all the cousins over, and so this was like 10 people 
And, and so everybody would, would come over to the backyard, and, and, uh, and we, I mean, we had hardly any room, and my, my cousins are mostly comprised of, of boys. And so when they would get back there, the only thing they want to do is, like, play baseball or kickball or throw a football or something. Well, they didn't have a, a lot of room, and these are kids, and so they would, uh, they would all be gathered, you know, uh, in the backyard. We'd be inside, and one of them would come inside, and they would say, or my, my son would come and say, Dad... I'm so sorry we threw a ball over, over the fence to that neighbor's yard. That's what we referred to my neighbor on the left, that neighbor, because they, they, they didn't like us a whole lot because we always had people over at our house. In fact, if you want to tell me that I'm, I'm lying here today, we would throw balls over there, and then I would, you know, kind of casually go to the next door, and he has delivered me a soccer ball of my son's that his dog just completely destroyed, holes in it and everywhere, and he said, here's your ball. Don't let it happen again. He, he installed, like, like, you know, motion lights and everything, and so if we ever, you know, were barely on their driveway riding bikes or something, I would get a message like, hey, stay off my driveway, that kind of guy. It was wild. He needs the grace and mercy of Almighty God today, okay? <laughs> but you can imagine, every time my kids, I would literally look at my son. We've had conversations like this. I would be like, Cameron, you know, you kick it on that side, so if it goes over that side of the fence, it doesn't matter. They're nice. This side of the fence, they're good. No problem at all. You go to that side of the fence, and that's like going to the bad place. We don't go there. If you've ever seen the movie The Sandlot, that's how it was for me. It was just like, I don't want to go over there. I'm scared and terrified to go over that, right, over this fence. So there was times when we would all be together, and, and uh, so I'd, I'd be like, okay, I'll do this. And I'd stress out. You know, I hate confrontation, and, and I feel like I can talk with most people. And so I'd go over there, and, and, uh, and I would do it. But listen, the only time I would ever go is if I was desperate. Like, I would ask Cameron, which ball was it? Like, do we need that ball? <laughs> like, like I would say, it costs $30, Dad. I would much rather go pay 30 bucks for another ball than go next door to my, my neighbor. The only time I was ever going to knock on his door was when I am completely desperate, and it is the last resort that I, that I have. Listen, I want you to know that out of that same desperation, we should come to our Father each and every day. But he should not be your last resort. He should be your very first option. When you wake up in the morning, you need to say, hey, God, listen, I'm absolutely nothing without you. I need the grace and mercy and goodness to flow throughout me today. God, I need your will to be done in my life today. God, here's a few things I would love for you to do, but listen, I want to walk in the Spirit each and every moment of the day. I am nothing without do you come to God with that kind of desperation? Do you come to God with that kind of persistence? And then the third one, and finally, is boldness. Boldness. You see, in verse 13, he says, If ye then, being evil, know how to good give, give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? You see, the point is that we are at our most loving when it comes to our kids. And, and so he says, listen, think about it this way. You know how your kids are with you as the father? Even on your worst day, you love your kids and you're going to give them good gifts, right? Like, 
I'm sure you as a parent, when your kids are terrible in the month of December, you might say things like, you might say, hey, you're not getting any Christmas presents, but then you still get them Christmas presents, right? We were at Myrtle Beach this past week, and my kids were not being the best in the world, but we were driving. There was a, a couple stores on the main strip, and they were saying, like, end of, blow, end of summer sale, and you probably never heard of them. Like, these places called Wings, you know what I'm talking about? They had huge sales, like never before sales, okay? I'm, I'm sarcastic, okay? I get it. I had to explain to my kids when we walked in. They said, um, Lindley said, Dad, the sign out front said nothing over $5.99. And I walked in here, and there's a ton of things over $5.99. And I said, you see that corner over there? There's like three racks that says nothing over $5.99. That's what they meant. They just did that to coerce us, get us into this building, right, so that we'd buy stuff. And so, but my kids don't realize that. And so we go in there, and, um, and so my daughter she couldn't decide on what she wanted, and so she was kind of being disrespectful. She's kind of being frustrated. She wanted, um, you know, the two-for-one thing, but it was way more money. And I was like, look, we're not spending that. You can get one thing. That's all you can get. And, and so she was kind of being frustrated or whatever. And at the end of the day, I literally, I left there, and I told Abby in the car, I was like, we shouldn't have got her anything. She didn't deserve it. But yet she's wearing a Myrtle Beach sweatshirt for the next three days, right? It's like we still give good gifts to our kids even though they don't deserve it. And, and before you grandparents look at us parents and say you guys are bad parents, nobody does this more, this verse more than grandparents, right? <laughs> kids are terrible and grandparents are like, oh, I get you whatever. They're just a child. You know, I'm like, mom, you didn't treat me that way, you know? And so they, they're, they're like, he's like, hey, listen, you're never more good than when it's your, your kids. And so he, he, and then he kind of really drops this truth bomb on his apostles. He says, listen, compared to the father's love for you, even on your very best day as a parent, it doesn't even compare to the father's love for you. Even on my best day as a parent, even when my kids are awesome, and even when I'm just generous and giving them whatever, guess what? I still do not even compare to our heavenly father. And he says, listen, be bold. Think about this story. He, he asked for three loaves. One would have probably been enough. He showed up, you know, in the middle of the night. They've been asleep for several hours. I, I'll say this, you know, like my kids, I don't like for them to wake me or Abby up in the middle of the night. You know, when they're young and they come in and they ask for something in the middle of the night. And you, I do what other good dads do. Abby, go help them. <laughs> if you're not married yet, write in your Bible, don't do this, right? But listen, you know, we, we do different things for our kids. When they show up, it's like, hey, listen, yes, I'll go get you a drink of water. Yes, I'll go turn something on, you know, music if they needed it. Yes, I'll go do this. We get out of bed and we, we do it and we help them. Why? Because they're our kids. We love them. But listen, nobody's more bold at 2 in the morning to come into our room and say, Hey, Dad, I know you're sleeping. I need some apple juice. I mean, I'm thinking you can get through the morning without apple juice, right? But listen, the kids, they're shamelessly bold and confident. They walk into my room, into my presence, and it does not even matter. Why? Because they're my kids. 
if you walk into my room at three in the morning, there's a problem, right? Because you're not my, my kids. And so, like, when, if you walk in, I'm going to be like, hey, listen, get, go get your apple juice yourself, you know? Not going to do that. But, but for my kids, I'm, I'm going to do what, what they are asking because I'm their father and, and they're my kids and, and I love them and, and I want to help them and I want to give them good gifts. And, and so when they come to me with this shameless confidence and this persistence and they're just asking for something, I want to, as their father, give it. And, and Jesus says this, and we'll close with this. He said, do you see the point, apostles? Do you see how you are with your kids, because that doesn't even compare to the Father. That don't even compare. You know what you need to treat God like? Just like kids show up in your room at 3 in the morning and don't care if you're sound asleep. They don't care about anything. They're going to show up shamelessly confident and persistent and bold because they're your kids. He says, listen, apostles, you show up to the Father and get into his presence, and whatever it is that you need, you can come to him, and you can share with him, and you come to him with that same shameless confidence and persistence and boldness that the neighbor showed up at the house at three at midnight and said, hey, I need a, a little bit of food How crazy of a story is that? He said, listen, at midnight, you show up with whatever need you have to our Heavenly Father, and you've never experienced the goodness and mercy and grace that He is. We only know earthly goodness. And He said, the Father, His love for you does not even compare. He says, come to us persistently. Come to us boldly. You know, the Scripture promises that God will move if we pray. 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin and will heal their land. We read verses like this, 1 John 5.14, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Luke 11.9, what we saw in this passage, ask and it shall be given you. Seek, you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Listen, I don't know what you're praying for today, but I want you to be persistent. I want you to be bold, and I want you to come to him in shameless confidence because you have a father that loves you. So I'm going to ask you this. It'll be up on the screen. I want you to think about this. God, I ask you to do blank. What is it? What is it? God, I ask you to heal somebody that you've been praying for. God, I ask you to restore my marriage that has fallen apart. God, I have a wayward child. I need you. Desperate. God, I want you to send revival. God, I have a child who doesn't know you as their Lord and personal Savior. I have a friend who doesn't. And God, this is what I want you to do. God says, if you come to me consistently and persistently, you come to me boldlessly and come to me with no shame. Listen, it doesn't matter if it's midnight. He heareth us. And if we come to him, he is a good God.
and he's going to give you good things. doesn't mean that everything's going to work out your way, so I don't want you to hear me wrong. But I'm telling you, if you pray that way, you're going to start to find that his will is what you want more than anything else. So start praying. Continue praying. Some of you have stopped praying. You need to keep praying. You need to get back to praying. And you need to keep every single day recognizing that you are desperate without God. And you need to come to him in boldness. Just like a kid in the middle of the night. No shame. That's the kind of father we have. Would you stand with me? Nobody looking around.